What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. All right, what's up, guys? We are getting to the AFC for the first division, and I chose the AFC West to do, the Chiefs division. So let's start with the Chiefs. Their defense did pick up the back half of last year, but other than that, their team is relatively the same. They didn't make big ads. They didn't have big losses. So it does make it a little bit easier to project them going forward. So you look at Mahomes, and this is just an interesting stat. By no means am I saying this is what I think is going to happen. But whenever I find something interesting, I like to share it with you guys. You guys can interpret it whatever way you like. So Patrick Mahomes in the last six games, once he returned from his injury, that was when the defense was picking up. So the defense was better at this point. And they went 6-0. and But Patrick Mahomes was only on pace for 3,700 passing yards, 21 touchdowns, and that would have put him at the QB 12. He did also run double the yards after he injured his knee. So during that six-game stint again, he actually ran double the yards, which is super weird. And I think the these two things don't really complement each other. It shows you you don't really have to worry about that being a possibility for Mahomes. I do think that he was just trying to make sure he won games, managed games, and make sure he's fully healthy for the playoffs. I don't think that he was completely just changing the way that he plays or Andy Reid was changing his offensive philosophy to a more um, safe type of offense where Mahomes doesn't have to throw a lot. I don't think that that was the case at all. So you don't have to worry about that. I just found it interesting. So then the first six games before injury, because he only played 12 games. So you have that first six and the last six. The first six, he was on pace for 5,600 yards, 37 touchdowns, and on pace to be the QB two behind obviously Lamar Jackson, who went crazy. So where do I project him exactly? Much closer to the first six games. But I do have to take into account the fact that the defense got better, and so that will probably knock down his pass attempts a bit. But as of right now, I haven't projected Lamar yet, but Mahomes right now is my QB1, and the only person that has a chance to jump in front of him that I haven't projected yet would be Lamar Jackson. I also haven't projected Deshaun Watson, but I know losing Hopkins, he's definitely not going to be up there for me. So then we have Tyreek Hill. He's a pretty consistent receiver in terms of his metrics. He had about a 23 percent target share um maybe a little bit more i'm projecting him for 23 this year he's not the elite fantasy wide receiver that i thought he was going to project out as because when i look at my wide receivers i usually tend to group tyree kill in the Devonte adams deandre hopkins julio jones category but the way i was pumping out projections and part of the reason being that they added Clyde Edwards Hilaire so they're probably going to throw to running backs a little bit more than they have in the past because in the past they didn't really throw to the running backs that much compared to other teams and the development of Miko Hardman and the fact that Sammy Watkins is still there I think Tyreek is going to lose a little bit of his target share and that ended up dropping him out of that elite group of fantasy wide receivers I actually have DJ Moore right in front of him so I do have DJ Moore pretty high but that just gives you a sense of where I have Tyreek at. Once I finish all of the AFC wide receivers, Tyreek Hill's probably going to be my like wide receiver 8, 9, or 10. I think right now he's like 6 or 7. Also, 
I just want to let you know I'm not biased in any way towards Tyreek Hill because I have him in a keeper league. He's one of my keepers. So actually, if anything, I would be hoping that my projections make him look great. But that's not how it came out. He had 15 points per game last year. I'm actually projecting him for 16 this year. So despite a slight, slightly um, less amount of targets, I do think that he's going to be better. He's just going to be more efficient, might get more touchdowns, whatnot. But he only had 15 last year points per game. So it's easy to forget when an elite player is not that elite, um, especially when they miss games and stuff like um, Tyreek did. So when you look at the rankings and stuff from last year, your automatic excuse for him not being in the top is, yeah, he missed games. But even if he didn't, he wouldn't have been as high as we probably thought he would have. He usually gets 25% of Mahomes' touchdowns as well. So I'm giving him about that um, once again. Then we have Travis Kelsey. I have him around 24.5% target share, so just above Tyreek Hill. And he's decent in the touchdown category. He has a stable yards per reception, stable catch rate. He's definitely the tight end one for me. And what I want to talk about is the points that I have between Kelsey and Kittle are very small. I, it's four points for the entire season. I have Kelsey projected for four points more than Kittle. But Kelsey will always be the one that I draft first and redraft. Obviously, in Dynasty, it's a different story. Kittle's younger. Um, but Kelsey is the guy I'm going with in redraft, best ball, and all of those formats outside of Dynasty. And this is why. Travis Kelsey is in an offense that passes the ball way more. The Chiefs versus the Niners. The Niners, we know they love to run the ball. The Chiefs also don't have a defense nearly as good as the 49ers defense. And that will prevent them from just dominating um, other teams on the defensive side of the ball and being able to just run out the clock. Because people can put up points on the Chiefs and the Chiefs have an explosive offense and keep stacking up points to keep their lead. The 49ers don't really do that. So that's another edge that Kelsey has. So Kelsey over Kittle has the edge of a more pass-happy offense, the opportunity for more touchdowns, a worse defense, and he also has, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL, and Kittle has Jimmy Garoppolo. And even, even furthermore, you can look at the fact that the 49ers just drafted a wide receiver in the first round. They have Debo Samuel developing, and they have Jalen Hurd coming off injury that they drafted last year that they were reportedly really high on. So there could be more target um, competition in San Francisco. Now, I didn't really let that impact my projections for Kittle, but it's a possibility. It's something that could happen. It exists. So because of all those reasons, even though I have them projected basically right next to each other, I'm definitely going to take Kelsey first every single time. Then you have Sammy Watkins. I think he's going to get a decent target share. 16% is what I have him projected for. I do think he loses a bit to Meikle, and I think Meikle will step up to about 12% from last year's 8 or 9. Then we have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I am projecting for him because a lot of people are, are trying to figure out how much of the carries and receptions in the running uh, among the running backs Clyde is going to get compared to Damian Williams, especially because Damian Williams, once again, was very good in the playoffs. So I have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire collecting 55% of the carries in Kansas City. Just 55%. That's not a lot by any means. So I think that's a, a pretty safe projection. Then I have him getting 65% of the passing work 
to the running backs. And let's be honest, that's why they drafted him. The Chiefs drafted him in the first round to use him, to to use the weapon that Clyde really is, which is in the receiving game. So I do think he's going to have a high yards per carry because of his talent alone. And you combine that with the amazing situation where you have, you know, obviously Patrick Mahomes and great receiving weapons. They're not going to be able to focus on Clyde whatsoever. So he's going to be very efficient in the running game. I have him at just above five yards per carry. Some people might think that's a lot. That's crazy for a rookie running back. But I've done it before and it's worked before. Um, I also know that Damian Williams was not a good running back in Miami, and then he came to the Chiefs, and his yards per attempt spiked by more than a yard, a full yard per carry. I think Clyde is a better runner than Damian Williams, and if Damian Williams can put up 4.8 yards per carry and 5.1 yards per carry and 4.5 yards per carry with the Chiefs, I think Clyde can put up five. So I think that's pretty safe. He's my dynasty running back one. For rookie impact and the fact that he's joined with Mahomes for five years minimum because they have that fifth year option from his rookie deal. I do like Jonathan Taylor and in fact I haven't projected the Colts yet but I know that there is no way that I have Jonathan Taylor beating out Clyde in uh, this year and just looking forward Jonathan Taylor may be a back that gets more opportunity in the future because the Colts may utilize him more, especially if Marlon Mack leaves, and it's just him and Naheem Hines. But here's the thing you have to realize. Clyde is so much safer than Jonathan Taylor, in my opinion, for upside. Clyde is in one of the best offenses, with one of the best offensive minds, with the NFL's best quarterback, and he will be there for at least five years. Then you have Jonathan Taylor, who is behind a much better offensive line, possibly the best offensive line in the NFL. I'll give you that. But we have no idea what the situation is in Indianapolis. I do trust their general manager. I do trust that they you know, do things the right way. I trust their process that they're going to find a quarterback. But the thing is, is that they haven't. And Phillip Rivers is obviously not the long-term answer. So people that are taking Jonathan Taylor first above Clyde in Dynasty draft, I really don't understand it. What do you think the state of their team is going to be next year? Rivers is on a one-year deal. Rivers may be there next year if they re-sign him again. Then I don't really see Jonathan Taylor being better than Clyde with a even older Phillip Rivers who loves to turn the ball over nowadays. And... They're not going to be able to just run out the clock with Jonathan Taylor. They're going to be trying to catch up, and they're going to be in, find themselves in very bad situations, just like the Chargers did last year with Rivers and his turnovers. And his arm's not the same. It's not as strong. You see the his balls like flutter in the air, and they're just weak, and they don't have zip on them. And that's something that I'm worried about for Jonathan Taylor and that offense as a whole. But then... You look forward, and let's say they don't sign Rivers next year. Who's going to be the quarterback? Is it going to be Jacob Eason? Are you going to put your eggs in that basket? We haven't seen him. He was a fourth-round pick for a reason. Not to say that guys don't pan out. Obviously, you have your Dak Prescotts, Russell Wilsons, Tom Brady's, but those are very, very, very rare um, situations. That does not happen often, and Jacob Eason was a fourth-round pick. We have to realize that he was on the board that long for a reason so unless you think that they're going to be in position to either sign a quarterback in free agency or draft a quarterback I really don't see how 
The situation can get good enough for Jonathan Taylor to be better than Clyde. So that's why I'm going Clyde every time. And it's not I'm not even worried about the carries for Jonathan Taylor, um, or the wear and tear, I mean, for Jonathan Taylor. I think that that's fine. I think that's kind of an overblown thing that people talk about. It, it can be a tiebreaker, but it's not really something that I tend to focus on. And even despite that, I'm going Clyde. Then Damian Williams, I think he can start off hot with Clyde. I think Clyde might have a couple frustrating games in the beginning of the season, but probably by week four or five, Clyde's going to take that job over. So I think Damian Williams is really just a decent backup um, with high upside in case something happened to Clyde. So if you have Clyde, maybe if you could get Damian Williams late, like past the seventh round, it's it probably is worth it. But I wouldn't really be drafting Damian Williams otherwise. So here are my projections for the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, I have at 23.3 points per game. Like I said, he's my quarterback one. I have him throwing for 4,850 yards, 35 touchdowns, rushing for 300 yards, and two touchdowns. Then Clyde, I have him at 16.9 points per game. He is an RB1 for me. Right now, he is right behind Austin Eckler and Kenyon Drake. I have him for 950 rushing yards, 65 receptions, 550 receiving yards, and 10 touchdowns. Then Damian Williams, I have at 9.2 points per game. So just a little more than half of what Clyde is going to produce. 650 rushing yards, 25 receptions, 200 receiving yards, and six total touchdowns. Now we get to the receivers. Tyreek Hill I have at 16.7 points per game. I have him for 130 targets, 85 receptions, 1,300 yards, eight touchdowns. Then after Tyreek, you take a big dip down to Sammy Watkins at 9.6. I have him for 90 targets, 55 receptions, 750 yards, and four touchdowns. Meikle Hardman, I have pretty close to Sammy Watkins. I think that that's going to get more even uh, this year with Meikle coming into his second year. I have him getting 70 targets, 35 receptions, 650 yards, and six touchdowns. Lastly, I have Travis Kelsey at 16.8 points per game. 140 targets, 95 receptions, 1,250 receiving yards, and eight touchdowns. So that is the Chiefs, and now we're going to get into the very exciting Drew Locke-led Broncos. So what do I think about the Drew Locke-led Broncos? Do I believe that Drew Locke can be a top-five quarterback with the new weapons he's got? I'll get to that in a second. First off, we're going to talk about the Broncos team as a whole. They passed among the league lowest last year with 504 pass attempts between all of their quarterbacks. And actually, when Drew Locke was starting, he was on pace for just under 504 pass attempts. If I remember correctly, it was 400 and it was in the 490s. Then their defense added Jarrell Casey, the defensive tackle from the Titans, and A.J. Boye, the corner from the Jaguars. They did lose Chris Harris, though. So I think the A.J. Boye-Chris Harris swap is actually a little bit of a downgrade but so slight that it's not something you have to worry about. The Jarrell Casey addition is definitely going to be helpful for them, so they should still have a great defense next year. And they added a lot of offensive weapons, obviously. They added Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, that's a first and second round wide receiver, and um, Alberto. I just, I'm not going to attempt his last name, but they added Alberto, who played with Drew Locke, Uh, the tight end, and in one season caught 11 touchdowns. So I do think that Drew Locke has a wide array of weapons, and that's definitely going to be helpful for him. But like I said, 
the Broncos last year passed for a league low 500, not league low among everyone, but one of the lowest in the league of 504 passes. And honestly, Drew Locke is not the kind of guy, he's not a Russell Wilson. He's not somebody that's going to have a huge touchdown rate or something or a huge yards per attempt or something crazy that is going to, or madly efficient, that's going to allow him to be a good fantasy quarterback despite passing the ball less than most other quarterbacks. Um, I do think that he's going to pass a little bit more, though. And they're also going to be able to run the ball a little bit more because the offense is going to be better in general. They're going to be able to stay on the field more. And I think there's a very likely situation in which they lead games more often because their defense is still very good and now they have a functioning more efficient offense. Jerry Judy, the impact that he's going to have is going to be very, very good. And I think you're going to see it right away. Jerry Judy is one of the best route runners. He was the best route runner, in my opinion, in this draft class. One of the best route runners to come out of the NFL draft in three or four years. And I think he's probably going to be one of the best route runners in the NFL very quickly. And he's the perfect complement to Cortland Sutton. And it's going to make things very difficult for defenses. Then you also have KJ Hamler, who's super fast. And he's going to open up uh, the deep ball. And he's going to open up the back end of defenses. And they're going to have to be worried about him. And then you also have Noah Fant and Albert O. I don't expect much from Albert. I think that Noah Fant's going to be the guy there, even though Albert has played with Locke in the past. But he might hurt Fant a little bit. Some people are worried about it. I'm not that worried about it. So let's get into Drew Locke. He played good enough last year for them to trust him now, but we can't really say that we know him in just five games. He only played five games. Yeah, he was 4-1, and one, and he actually played some decent teams. He played the Chargers, the Texans, the Chiefs, the Lions, and the Raiders, and he was 4-1 and one in those games. Obviously, the team that they lost to was the Chiefs. He passed 29 times per game, like I said, so it was just under 500, and it will be hard to be bad with the weapons that he has, but he's probably not going to be a high-volume passer, so he has a low fantasy ceiling. I think he also has a low fantasy floor, because if he ends up not being as good as we thought, and he runs a little bit less than he was last year, which is very possible considering all the running backs they have now, and I mean, they're going to give touches to Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay, which we'll get to in a second, but it's very possible that Drew Locke is like somebody you never want to play. And I think at best, he could be like the quarterback 11 or 12. Because um, I don't see him getting the opportunity he needs to become a very good fantasy quarterback. Which is disappointing, because I was actually really excited about Drew Locke. Um, and then once I did my projections, as you know, I don't let my personal opinions or preferences influence my projections. And I was disappointed once I did them. But it is what it is. That's what I think is going to happen. Then we have Cortland Sutton. With Drew Locke last year, he had a 26% target share. I do think it's going to go down because the running backs are bound to take more looks because you added Melvin Gordon, who's the best receiving back in the room now, and he's not going to just take over all of the receptions from the running backs last year and leave none for them. So your target distribution is going to change. Your offense, your offensive philosophy is going to change. It's going to shift with a little bit more receptions to the running backs. Then, obviously, you added Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, all those other guys. So I don't think it's likely that Cortland Sutton is able to get a 26% target share again. I have him projected for 23%. And because of the low-volume offense, 
he only comes out to 117 targets for me. So actually less than last year. I am definitely one of the lower guys on Cortland Sutton. He's not somebody that I will ever be drafting because I know his ADP is way too high for me to touch right now, and it will never get to the point where it's low enough or where he drops far enough for me to grab him. Jerry Judy, I think he's going to have a high target share, but why? I just said that Cortland Sutton is going to lose 3% from last year, and I have him at 23%, so how high can I actually be projecting Judy? I have Judy at 19%, and this is why. Because he's an extremely polished route runner. He is always open. He will quickly, quickly become a favorite read of Drew Locke. Quarterbacks love wide receivers that are open. They trust them, they know that they can depend on them, and they know that that guy is always going to be open. So it's pretty simple. Those guys usually have very high target shares. I think you could see... Jerry Judy kind of have, and this was actually my NFL comparison for him coming into the draft, was a faster, shiftier Jordy Nelson. And I think he can very much take on that kind of role for the Broncos. Because if you remember, Jordy Nelson was a superb route runner with the Packers, and he got mad targets. And every time you saw um, Jordy Nelson catching the ball, the nearest corner was like five yards away. He was always open. And that's why Rodgers loved him. I think Jerry Judy is going to do that exact same thing for the Broncos. Not many um, number two cornerbacks will be able to guard him. That's the other thing. Because of how Cortland Sutton has played last year and the fact that he's been in the NFL, so people have tape on him, people are going to be more worried about him than a rookie. There's no situation in which I see the number one cornerback on a team that shadows receivers on Jerry Judy. So Jerry Judy is going to see number two cornerbacks most of the time. And I don't think any number two quarterback in the N- cornerback in the NFL can guard Jerry Judy, honestly. So I think he's going to be getting a very decent share. Actually, I have him projected for the highest target share among any rookie wide receiver, even though I haven't gotten to Michael Pittman yet or Denzel Mims. So they could definitely mess that up. But um, I have him projected for the highest, even though um, the Broncos don't pass a lot. So because of that, he's actually pretty low on my board. But if the Broncos, for some reason, something happened where they were in a situation where they were throwing a lot more than I'm projecting, which is just above 500, I do think that Jerry Judy could end up being the number one rookie receiver this year. Then we have Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. I'm going to talk about them together. The big money contract for Melvin Gordon means he will be the number one. He will be the main receiving back. He will be the guy that they have in for third downs and probably the guy that they use in the red zone the most. I think the overall overall carries will barely be more for Melvin Gordon, and it's because of the money. But I don't think he's going to be as efficient as Philip Lindsay on the ground because Lindsay is just been more efficient than Gordon. Gordon has only averaged more than four yards per carry in one season. And Philip Lindsay has done it every season. And he's been up near five yards per carry. I do think that he will actually outrush Melvin Gordon. I think he'll have more rushing yards because despite getting lower carries, he's going to get more per clip. I think Philip Lindsay is probably the guy they use between the 20s, and Gordon is the guy that they have in the clutch situations. Obviously, they're going to bring Gordon in between the 20s as well, but in terms of who is used more, I think Lindsay's probably going to get used a bit more between the 20s, and Gordon is going to be their clutch guy. I have Gordon getting 11.6 carries per game to Lindsay's 10.1. 
but Gordon is probably going to get nearly double the receiving work that Philip Lindsay will. Also, Melvin's going to get the touchdowns. Like I said, he's going to be the guy that they use in the red zone. He has been very good at getting touchdowns after his rookie year with the Chargers. I expect this to be a touchdown-heavy run game. I think that they are going to lean on the run so much, and that's part of the reason why I'm so low on Drew Locke. You have Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, and Royce Freeman, who we're not even going to talk about because he's the third running back there. But um, Royce Freeman is definitely, hands down, the best third running back on a depth chart in the NFL. And if someone goes down, they're not going to skip a beat. If Melvin goes down, Lindsay and Freeman will be fine. If Lindsay goes down, Melvin and Freeman will be fine. And I mean, if Freeman goes down, that doesn't matter because he's the third right now. So they have an amazing um, setup right now to just grind out the ball and grind out games. Lindsay um, is also going to be a guy that has a high ceiling and a high... Um, potential rating for me because if Melvin gets hurt which we have seen him get hurt a couple times if that happens Lindsay's going to be a very good fantasy running back and at that point they would be in their zone of passing more to the the running backs so I don't think it would fully continue they would adjust obviously if they lost Melvin to an injury but Lindsay would probably get a little bit more work than he's used to in the receiving game and lastly, the passing weapons for the Broncos will make everything easier for Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay, because when you have threats on the outside, you can't stack the box, plain and simple. So now let's get into Noah Fan. He only had 14 targets in five games with Drew Locke. 14 targets in five games. I repeated it because that is horrible. He only had 9% of the target share. He had 13% of the target share on the season. I expect a minimal increase from 13 to 14. The new weapons and the running backs really hurt his potential to become a big part of this offense. And I thought that he was somebody that I liked grabbing late. He's not really anymore because I have a lot of guys above him that I can also get in the same range, like Tyler Higby, Hunter Henry, Hayden Hurst. So I would rather take those guys than Noah Fant. So let's get into my projections now. Drew Locke. He's one of my lowest quarterbacks right now just because of the fact that he's not going to throw the ball much. I have him projected for 16.5 points per game, 3,750 yards, 24 touchdowns, and running for 200 yards with no rushing touchdowns. Cortland Sutton, like I told you, I am much lower on Sutton, and I will not be drafting him anywhere. I have him for about 115. I told you specifically it was 117 earlier, but I just round now. Uh, 115 targets, 65 receptions, 900 yards, and 8 touchdowns, 12.7 points per game. Jerry Judy, I have at 10.5 points per game, 95 targets, 60 receptions, 750 receiving yards, and 6 touchdowns. Noah Fant, I have at 9.2. I have him for 70 targets, 50 receptions, 750 yards, 4 touchdowns. That's another thing with Noah Fant, too, is he's not or at least he doesn't seem like it right now to be a huge touchdown type of guy for a tight end for the tight end position. Also adding Albert O who caught a lot of touchdowns from Drew Lock is not going to help him. Then you have Melvin at 15.9 points per game to Lindsay's 10 points per game. And I was actually very surprised how high I had Melvin. I was not expecting to be high on Melvin, um, especially because I'm somebody that's always kind of been sour on his yards per carry. 
because even though that that's not the best stat to evaluate a running back, when it's as consistently bad as it was for Melvin, despite them having other running backs averaging much more than that, that is kind of what made me sour on Melvin Gordon. But I just the work that I think he's going to get is going to be good enough to make him a very good uh, fantasy running back, and I think he's going to get the touchdown work for the most part. So I have Melvin at 750 rushing yards to Philip Lindsay's 800. I have Melvin for 55 receptions to Philip Lindsay's 30, and 500 receiving yards to Philip Lindsay's 200. And then I have for Melvin for 12 touchdowns, Lindsay for five. All right, so now we get to get in the Chargers. Oh boy, I'm gonna try my best not to talk about Tyra Taylor too much because I'm sure most of you guys already listened to the podcast podcast episode before about Tyrod Taylor and why I think he is the king of sleepers this year. So I'm going to try and gloss over that just in case some of you guys did not listen to that podcast. I do suggest you go back and do that because I do think Tyrod could easily, easily be somebody that helps you a lot in your fantasy leagues this year and he costs nothing. So I'll just give a little gloss over him because um, I'm, I'm still obviously talking about the Chargers. So I'm going to talk about Tyrod a bit, but I'm not going to get into the all the research that I did for Tyrod um, that I put on the podcast that was just about him. So I'm going to try not to talk about Tyrod too much. So let's get into the Chargers. They signed right tackle Brian Bulaga from the Packers. So their offensive line got a little bit better. They also signed defensive tackle Linval Joseph from the Vikings, and they signed cornerback Chris Harris, one of the best corners in the league, from the Broncos. So they signed two really good defenders, and a a very good right tackle. So they got better all around the board. And I actually think they got better by losing Rivers, whether whether they go to Tyrod or Herbert. They obviously lost Melvin Gordon, but honestly, between Austin Eckler and the other running backs that they had there, Justin Jackson and the rookie Joshua Kelly that they brought in, I think they're going to be just fine. They obviously drafted Justin Herbert. But here's the thing. Justin Herbert, he needs to be developed. He's not a guy that's ready to start right now, especially with everything going on with the coronavirus and people having virtual off seasons and shortened um, camps and all that stuff. It's going to be harder for Herbert to learn all the plays and schemes that he needs to to be able to start week one. And so that's why I think Tyrod's going to start week one. And that's actually not the only reason. I do think that Herbert's kind of the guy that they would just love to let him sit a year and learn. Um, So that's also another reason why I think Tyrod starts. Now, the only way I think Tyrod gets replaced is if he has a a bad record. You can't sit somebody when you're winning. I mean, it's plain and simple. What is the reason for everything? What drives ticket sales? What drives players? What drives coaches? What drives money? All of that is driven by winning. So if Tyrod starts, which I do think he will, in week one, they play the Bengals in week one. Tyrod is going to destroy them, completely destroy them. Then they play the Chiefs, which the Chiefs have a good defense, but they don't have an elite defense. So Tyrod will probably look fine, even though they're going to lose to the Chiefs. Then they play the Panthers, the rebuilding Panthers, and I think Tyrod will look good there, and they're going to win there. So now they're 2-1. Then they play the Bucks. That's going to be a tough matchup that they probably lose. Um, hopefully they lose as a Bucks fan. I hope they would lose that matchup. Obviously, I want my boys to get a dub, but we don't necessarily know how everything's going to work with Tom Brady, you know, a new quarterback and a new system um, and a shortened offseason just for the same reasons as Justin Herbert. Maybe Tom Brady starts off a little bit slow. Maybe the Bucks start, start off a little bit slow. 
um, and they can win that game. But I don't think they do. That puts them at 2-2. Two and two. Then week 5, they play the Saints, and that's when I have them drop to 2-3. and three. That's the only point where I think Tyrod can get pulled. I think that after that, if they keep him in past the Saints game and they're 2-3, and three, I don't see Tyrod getting pulled the rest of the season because the next three games are super easy. It's the Jets. Uh, do I even need to explain that one? The Dolphins, once again, same thing. And the Jaguars. And the Jaguars lost a bunch of defensive pieces. So, honestly, all of those games are easy wins, in my mind. That puts them from 2-3 and three to 5-3. and three, And Tyrod's not getting pulled at that point. You also have to remember, he took a much, much worse Bills roster to the playoffs. So, I definitely think he can bring this team to the playoffs. This team has an elite defense. Elite defense. Top 5. For sure, especially with the additions that they made. They also drafted a first-round linebacker, Kenneth Murray. That's also going to help them have a better defense. Tyrod also has one of the best touchdown-interception ratios among all NFL quarterbacks currently starting. Last year, Rivers had 23 touchdowns to 20 interceptions. That's nearly 1-1. to That's really bad. And they were 5-11. and Tyrod will make this team 8-8 eight and eight minimum. Minimum. In his three years when he started in Buffalo, his touchdown-interception ratio was 51 touchdowns to 16 interceptions. Less interceptions than Phillip Rivers just last year. Rivers had 20 last year. In three years, Tyrod had 16, and he had 51 touchdowns. That's a 3-to-1 ratio. Rivers was near 1-to-1 last year. So Tyrod is three times better than Rivers at not throwing interceptions, which is a big problem or was a big problem for the Chargers last year. That was why they had such a bad record because Rivers continually put them in bad situations, much like the Bucks last year with Jameis. Then you watch Rivers and he had a lot of underthrown balls and dead balls. That stuff is going to get, um, that stuff was getting picked off and it's not going to be the same this year because Tyra Taylor, I think is an upgrade in the passing game as well, actually. And some people will probably disagree with me on that, but he has a 30-year-old arm versus Rivers' 38-year-old arm. Also, Tyrod Taylor is not that bad of a passer. Um, he was in Buffalo in a horrible situation and had about league average passing metrics from completion percentage to yards per completion to touchdown rate and all that stuff. And that was with really bad weapons in Buffalo. So considering that the offense that he has surrounding him now is amazing, I think he'll be just fine as a passer and He's a great rusher and a dual threat and will actually make that team very hard to deal with. If um, if Tyra gets sat, the worst thing that happens is you wasted the last pick in your draft. Well, actually, you didn't waste it because whoever you would have took is probably there on a waiver and you could just drop Tyra Taylor and pick up that person. So honestly, there's no risk and a huge reward with taking Tyrod. So now I'm going to give you some quick things about Tyrod. Um, because that's who I have built the projections around because I think he's going to start and I think he's going to keep the job. So his last three years in Buffalo were 2015, 16, and 17. In the first year, he had Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods. This was Sammy Watkins' second year. He was already dealing with injuries. And at this point, Robert Woods has not really done anything in his career. Um, he was just had his first relevant season the year before that. And Woods was not the Woods we see now with the Rams, and Watkins is the guy that we've seen traveling from team to team these past few years. So definitely not a, a great option as your wide receiver one. Then year two, he had Robert Woods and Marquise Goodwin. 
Same thing with Woods and then Marquis Goodwin. He's never been anything but a deep threat. Um, and honestly, he also deals with injury and stuff. Then year three, he had Kelvin Benjamin for six games, gross, and Deontay Thompson. Those were his one and two receivers. That's horrible. So he's never had better than average receivers at best. I don't, wouldn't say any of those groups were average in that year, in the year that he had them. But if you want to be um, safe and say that they were average receivers, okay, that's fine. Now he has Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, and Eckler out of the backfield. He did have LaShawn McCoy there, so I think Eckler and McCoy is pretty equal. But Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry is way better than the receivers that he had in those years. And Charles Clay. Hunter Henry's way better than Charles Clay. And Mike Williams is a huge guy. I mean, you guys know Mike Williams at Keenan Allen. I don't really need to explain that. So in his three years in Buffalo, he had a 63% completion percentage for 11.4 yards per carry uh, per completion and 4.1% touchdown rate. All of those numbers are going to be higher this year with much better weapons. And he's also a more seasoned passer. Also, in the seasons that he was in Buffalo, he was quarterback 16, 8, and 16, but he never played 16 games. If he played 16 games in those seasons, in one season he missed two games, and the other two seasons he missed one game each. If he played 16 games in those seasons, he would have been the QB5, the QB6, and the QB14. And the QB14 year was the year when he had Kelvin Benjamin for six games and Deontay Thompson as his number one and number two receiver, and at that point, LaShawn McCoy was washed. So, that was just a horrible situation for him. There wasn't really much he could do. So, of course, he's not going to be that great. And he was still quarterback 14. So, in those seasons, he was also, and this is what's crazy, because on top of the fact that he's already doing, already finished way better than you would have thought with QB 5, 6, and 14 on a 16-game pace, in those seasons, he was on pace for 434 passes, 465 passes, and 448 passes, per 16 games. That's among the league low, if not the lowest for a quarterback over a 16 game pace in those years. So despite that, he was very good in fantasy, even though he barely got to throw the ball. The Chargers threw the ball 597 times last year. That's about 150 times more than his average over the three seasons he played in Buffalo. Now, am I projecting 597 passes? Of course not. It's going to be much lower with the lack of turnovers he's going to have, but he will probably for himself see a career high. I have him just under 500 pass attempts in the 490s, which is much higher than the highest pace he was ever on for, which was 465. He is one of the best sleepers, like I said. Um, I have a podcast, and I actually have an article, if you don't want to listen to the podcast, an article that you could probably digest in seven minutes on the website. Um, He averaged 573 rushing yards per season and five touchdowns. That's very good for fantasy. I'm drafting him everywhere with my last pick. And like I said earlier, the best part is he costs nothing. If Herbert ends up starting, it doesn't hurt you. You just drop Tyrod and pick up whoever you were going to draft in that last round because they're probably on the waiver wire anyways. Also, last thing, I didn't actually mention this in the podcast. It is in the article. But if you look at all the quarterbacks in fantasy football that rushed for at minimum 500 rushing yards over the last like seven or eight years, they averaged a finish of QB5, and Tyrod Taylor has rushed for more than 500 every single year. So there's no way in my mind that he's not a QB1 if he plays all 16 games, which I do project. So now let's get into Keenan Allen. Tyrod Taylor's wide receiver one was usually around 25% target share. Keenan Allen usually also gets 25% of targets, so 
that's pretty easy. If Tyrod's wide receiver one is 25%, Keenan's 25%, what am I projecting this year for Keenan? 25%. Then you have Mike Williams. He's never been a target share guy. He had 16% last year, and that was his highest targeted year. He's explosive, has a big body. He needs touchdowns to be fantasy relevant. Last year, he broke 1,000 yards, and he was kind of disappointing to fantasy owners because he lacked the touchdowns. He has a better outlook if Justin Herbert starts, but I don't have Herbert starting, so Mike Williams is not really a guy that I'm looking forward to grabbing in fantasy drafts. Now you have Hunter Henry, who you can compare to Charles Clay. Charles Clay usually got 20% of Tyrod's share. Hunter Henry last year had 17% of the Chargers targets. Melvin Gordon leaving will open up some targets, and I think Hunter Henry can pick up enough of those targets to get him to about 19 or 20%, which was about what Charles Clay was getting for Tyrod. So I think that he'll get about the same kind of work. And you do have to also remember Hunter Henry's a risky pick due to health. But outside of that, I think he'll be a pretty good tight end when he's on the field for Tyrod Taylor. Then you have Austin Eckler. Tyrod Taylor targeted LaShawn McCoy 15% of the time over the three years. That's a lot. Last year, Austin Eckler had 18% of the Chargers targets. He also had 14 attempts per game without Melvin Gordon, but that is probably going to go down with the running back that they drafted because when Melvin was hurt, it was just him and Justin Jackson, so that's why he was getting 14 a game. Now it's going to be him, Justin Jackson, and Joshua Kelly, so I think he's going to be a little bit less. I have him projected at 12 attempts or 12 rushes per game. I have him getting 50% of the carries because I have them projected for 24 carries to the running backs. Tyrod's going to run on his own, but out of the running back carries, I have him for 50%, which is, I think, pretty fair. I also have him projected for 57% of the running backs rushing touchdowns, which also is probably pretty fair. I don't think that Joshua Kelly and um, Justin Jackson are going to combine for the same amount of touchdowns as Austin Eckler. I think Austin Eckler will still have one or two more than them combined. And he's still going to get a good uh, target share because as we saw, Sean McCoy was able to get 15 from Tyrod Taylor. So as Austin Eckler is going to be able to get a good target share. So here are my projections for the Chargers. Tyrod Taylor have at 20 points per game, 3,800 passing yards, 22 passing touchdowns, 500 rushing yards, five rushing touchdowns. And he is a QB1 right now for me. He's like at at 8, at 8 or 9. But I know Watson's going to jump him. Lamar's going to jump him. And um, Josh Allen is going to jump him. So he's probably going to be QB11 or 12. But if you listen to the projections, I only have him projected for 22 touchdowns, passing touchdowns. He could definitely get higher than that. I was very conservative on his metrics. Like his career average was 4.1 in Buffalo. I gave him 4.4. It could easily be above 5 with the weapons that he has, especially with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. And then 500 rushing yards, he averaged 573 in Buffalo. So that's conservative. And 5 touchdowns I gave him because that's what he averaged. So it's very possible that Tyrod has more than that and hits you know maybe 25 passing touchdowns, 600 rushing yards, and that would push him all the way up to top 5 for me just that alone. So he's definitely somebody I'm looking towards. Then Keenan Allen, I have him for 13.5 points per game, 120 targets, 80 receptions, 1,000 receiving yards, and six touchdowns. Mike Williams, 
I have at 11.7 points per game, 95 targets, 55 receptions, 950 yards, 6 touchdowns. He's going to have trouble getting back up to that double-digit touchdown mark that he hit two years ago with Rivers because Tyrod's not going to throw as many touchdowns. Um, And then you have Hunter Henry, 10.3 points per game, 90 targets, 65 receptions, 750 yards, 4 touchdowns. And lastly, Austin Eckler, who graded out very high for me, which I was very happy about, 17.7 points per game. Right now he's my running back 6, but I still haven't done Josh Jacobs or Nick Chubb or Joe Mixon or Derrick Henry. So those four guys are probably going to push him back a little bit. But he's definitely a a RB1 for me, probably going to be around RB10. I have him for 900 rushing yards, 65 receptions, 650 receiving yards, and 11 touchdowns total. And then lastly, we have the Raiders, which were pretty frustrating to project. So real quick, they added linebacker Corey Littleton and defensive end Carl Nassib, which should help the defense a bit, but I don't expect huge improvements. Then they also added... Strong safety Jeff Heath and defensive tackle Malik Collins, which are not as big of signings as Corey Littleton and Carl Nassib, but they're still decent enough to be solid depth players and pushed for an opportunity to start. But I don't think the defense is going to be massively improved from last year. It will be better, though. They did not throw the ball as much as you would think, or at least I thought they threw the ball more than they did last year. They only threw the ball 513 times. They drafted Henry Ruggs. Brian Edwards, Lynn Bowden, which are all wide receivers. Um, Lynn Bowden can be used as a running back too, but they drafted three receivers this year. I think that hints at a slight increase in the percentage of pass plays compared to running plays. Also, the division rival Broncos significantly got better on offense and will be better. The Chargers will also be better. And so the Raiders may be in more blowouts. And this will also increase the passing attempts. So not only did they draft a bunch of receivers, which would hint at more passes this year, but they also are probably going to be in a division that puts up more points than it has in the past um, with the Chargers and Broncos being better. And obviously the Chiefs put up mad points, but they have been doing that. So it's not a big change. Um, So I think the Raiders are going to have to throw more because of that too. So let's talk about Derek Carr. I am projecting about two passes more per game this year, which puts him at 547 pass attempts. People run with this narrative that Derek Carr is just like a dink and dunk guy and he's not good at pushing the ball downfield. I'm not really sure where that narrative comes from. Um, It's maybe slightly true, but people definitely take it over the top. Last year, he had a career high completion percentage, despite the fact that he had his second highest yards per completion. He also had the second highest yards per game in his career last year. And let's think about last year's supporting cast. Yeah, he had Darren Waller. That's good. Hunter Renfro, decent, but he's a a small, slaw guy. And then Tyrell Williams. That's not better than Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper. And he had his second highest yards per game in his career. And he had Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper together for more than one year. So that means that he was better last year than he was in one of the years when he had both of those guys. So I don't really think that he's nearly as bad as people think. He should see highs with all the new weapons. I think that you could see him go back to the type of quarterback he was when he had Crabtree and Cooper because of the additions that they have in the offense, and I'm projecting such. He likely will be asked to throw deeper more often by the coaching staff because of the addition of Henry Ruggs. He will, because of this, have a lower completion percentage than the last two years because his 
the difficulty of his throws will be increased by asking him to throw the ball downfield more, but his yards per reception will also go up because of this. So I think he's actually going to be better than people think. Um, and I think he's not a bad option in two quarterback leagues. But let's get into Josh Jacobs. Running backs got 21% of the target share last year, and Josh Jacobs only got 6%. Josh Jacobs, who was touted as a very well-rounded three-down back coming out of college and was drafted in the first round, got almost 25% of the running backs' targets last year. 25%. Because he got 6% out of 21. 25% would have been if there was 24% of targets. So he was barely used in the passing game, even though the running backs were used. I expect at least a 4% increase here. So I am, pro- I am projecting Josh Jacobs at 10% of the target share because I think the running backs are going to be around the same target share total of 21% from last year, and Jacobs is just going to get used more. That's what they drafted him for, and he's good at it. He was among the highest last year in rushes per game. He had just above 18 rushes per game. I do expect a decrease here because I think the team is going to run a bit less, and I also think Lynn Bowden might take a few carries away from him. But I do think he's going to have an increased efficiency because of all the threats in the passing game. So overall, I don't think Jacobs is really hurt much by how they drafted um, or helped much. I think he's around the same from what we were seeing last year. Then Darren Waller is up next. He had 22% of the targets last year, which is pretty good. And he lacked touchdowns. So I think I don't think that that's something that's going to be sustainable. I think that we're going to see positive touchdown regression for him, which is going to help him. He's going to be slightly hurt by new weapons in the passing game, so I do have him for less of a target share. I only have him for 20%. But like I said, the increased touchdowns are probably going to make him even better this year than he was last year or close to it. Then you have Henry Rux. The possibility of, possibilities of how they use Henry Ruggs vary very widely. He could just be used as a deep threat, like a Deshaun Jackson, or he could be used as a gadgety player like a Tyree Kill. I expect them to use him a lot because obviously they invested mad draft capital in him. He was the first wide receiver drafted off the board. And do you think that they chose him over CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy just so that they can send him down the field on nine routes? I don't think so, especially if the narrative of, of Derek Carr proves to be true, which I don't think it's nearly as like I said, true as everyone else does. But if it was true, then obviously they're not going to just send Henry Ruggs down the field over and over if that's not something that Derek Carr feels comfortable throwing. So that means he would become more of a PPR guy, actually. Like, nobody's talking about the potential for Henry Ruggs to get, like, 100 targets. That's not what I'm projecting by any means. But if they just stay with this, stay with, like, a shorter passing game, shorter and intermediate passing game, and don't try to take too many shots... They're going to use Henry Ruggs, so they would be putting him in the slot, giving him screens, uh, putting him in the backfield maybe for a carry or two. Um, There's just so many things you can do with Henry Ruggs and his speed, and I think that they're just going to force feed him the ball, if anything. So it's possible that he gets a lot more targets than we think, but I don't think that Derek Carr is bad. Therefore, I think that Henry Ruggs will be used more like a traditional faster receiver on the outside and stuff. So I only have him around 85 targets. 
And then we have Hunter Renfro. So there's four receivers I projected for the Raiders, which is among the tops that I project and go over. Um, I did Ruggs, Renfro, Tyrell Williams, and Brian Edwards. I think it's going to be kind of confusing over the course of the season because I don't think Derek Carr is going to throw for 5,000 yards. And if he's not throwing for that much, it's going to hard it's going to be hard for us to figure out which wide receiver to play on which week and if any of them are ever going to be able to you know, outplay the others to a point where they can get a really big target share. I don't think that's really going to happen. So it's going to be frustrating, but I think that things are going to clear up in the future. Edwards and Tyrell, Edwards will overtake Tyrell soon, and then you'll just have like Ruggs, Renfro, and Edwards. Just removing one of these guys would make it so much easier. So for dynasty purposes, I'm still high on Ruggs and Edwards, but I think that this year it will be kind of frustrating. With Hunter Renfro, as the season progressed last year, he got more involved. The end of the season, he was getting 20% of the targets. And I have that decreasing to 18%, which is what I'm projecting this year. Then Tyra Williams was actually super effective for his role. Um, people just think Brian Edwards is going to knock off Tyra Williams. I don't think so. I think Tyra Williams is going to hold him off, at least for most of this year, because Tyrell's better than we give him credit for. He had a 66% catch rate, despite averaging over 50 yards per per reception. If you look at all the receivers that had over 15 yards per reception, most of them are either in the high 50s or low 60s of catch rate. Tyrell was at 66%, and we know he was efficient with touchdowns too. So he was actually much better than people remember. And I don't think Brian Edwards, a rookie that was a third-round pick, is just going to come in here and take his job, especially with the shortened offseason and all of that. And Tyrell obviously showed that he built chemistry with Derek Carr, especially with all the touchdowns from game after game for like the first five or six weeks. Then you have Brian Edwards. I think that he still has the potential to become a number one receiver for them down the line. I just don't really see that happening this year. I don't think he's going to be relevant in fantasy this year, except maybe a couple games. But obviously that's, I mean, everyone has a couple good games, so that's not something that is really worth holding on your roster, but I still think he's a great dynasty pick, especially because he's still going pretty late uh, at the back of the second. So here are my projections for the Raiders, and then we will be done with this division of the AFC. I have Derek Carr at 17.9 points per game for 4,250 receiving yards and 26 touchdowns with pretty much nothing on rushing, only 50 yards and one touchdown. Darren Waller had for 13.9 points per game, 110 targets, 80 receptions, just over 1,000 yards at 1,050, and 6 touchdowns. Josh Jacobs, I have at 16.5 points per game. He is the first running back for me behind Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, so he's still really high for me because I like Clyde a lot. I have him at 1,250 rushing yards, 40 receptions, 350 receiving yards, and 10 touchdowns total. Henry Ruggs, I have as the second best receiver this year for the Raiders. I have him at 85 targets, which like I said, he has potential if they use him differently to get way more than that and be better in PPR. But that's what I have him at for targets is 85, then 45 receptions, 700 receiving yards, and six touchdowns. Tyrell Williams, I have at 8.4, just above Brian Edwards. I have him at 65 targets to Brian Edwards, 55 40 receptions to Brian Edwards, 35, 650 receiving yards to Brian Edwards, 450, and five touchdowns to Edwards, three. Then Renfro, he's the highest receiver for me for the Raiders, and I think he probably has the most secure job 
because he's a very good slot receiver. And yeah, you can put Ruggs in the slot role, but I don't think that that's going to push Renfro off the field. I think if anything, Renfro is their favorite receiver between him, Tyrell, and Brian Edwards, um, or will be this year at least. Edwards has a chance to overtake him, but I think that he's going to be the favorite receiver of the three. And Ruggs is probably somebody that I'm not projecting, or he is somebody I'm not projecting for high targets. So Renfro is my number one receiver for them, 11 points per game, 100 targets. It's actually 98, but I'm just rounding to 100. 70 receptions, 850 receiving yards, and four touchdowns. That's another thing. Renfro is my number one receiver, and I only have him for four touchdowns. So, And I have Tyrell for five and Henry Ruggs for six and Brian Edwards for three. You can take those targets from the receivers and distribute them a different way if you want. You can give Hunter Renfro six. If you give him six, he's actually a pretty good fantasy receiver for me. So... I think Renfro's kind of being slept on a little bit. I wouldn't mind taking him in the back end of drafts, and he could be a solid plug-and-play guy for when somebody's hurt or you have a bye week or whatnot. But that's the receivers for you, and that finishes off the Raiders and the AFC West. Thanks for listening to Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Have a good one, guys.